Uh, today's scripture is in Matthew. If you guys could go there, we're going to continue our uh, our series in Citizens of the Gospel. Uh, if you guys could all stand with me, we believe that this is the word of God, and to honor that, we would like you to stand uh, and while I read the passage. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and it's on page 926 in your blue Bibles under your seat if you don't have one. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are you guys doing? All right, a bunch of you. Okay, you came to church because your mom made you this morning. I see that. That's awesome. That's good, good of you. Good of you uh, men in the room. Uh, welcome to Flourishing Grace. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Josh Knight. Uh, I'm the pastor of belittling men, apparently. Um, preaching and vision here at Flourishing Grace. That's, that's my job. Some of you are like, who is this guy? What's he talking about? Hey, real quick, before we get into the word this morning, just a big shout out, big thanks to Lindsay and Josh, who lead our family ministry here at Flourishing Grace, right? Lindsay leads the, the kids and family side. Josh leads the student and, and uh, family side. Um, and if you call Flourishing Grace Church home, right, and you have kids, you have been uh, influenced and impacted by the work that they, they have done and the work that they're doing constantly, always trying to resource us as parents, right, in, in one of the hardest tasks that God has given us as parenting, right? And so they have a parenting conference every year in the fall, uh, constantly working with your kids, with your students, um, trying to lead them into a flourishing relationship with Jesus, trying to resource you in that endeavor. And we just don't, man, I, we just don't appreciate them enough. We have an incredible staff team, um, and I, I have the privilege, of, the privilege of leading that team. Um, and they're an easy team to lead because we just have an amazing, amazing team. And so, can we just give it up for the staff, version guys, and <laughs> Lindsay and Josh in particular? Yeah, so we are in this series called Citizens of the Gospel. We started this two weeks ago. Um, and in this series, we've been talking about kind of coming out of Easter. And coming out of Easter, we were, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for seven months in the Gospel of Mark. And coming out of that, realizing that the good news is that Jesus became king. That's the good news. Everything else flows out of that. And so the question then, as we kind of leave the Gospel of Mark, is, well, how do we now live as citizens of this new kingdom, Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, the most important thing, the most important thing for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, is that you live your life as a good citizen of the gospel. And so we've been walking through kind of the commandments and the calls, the commissions of Jesus. The past two weeks, we've been looking at the great commandment. The first thing that Jesus commands us, the greatest thing that Jesus commands of us, who are followers of Jesus, is love. It's the number one thing that Jesus commands us to do. It's to love. And he kind of props up these two things. First, we are to love that which is most worthy of our love. To give affection to that which is most worthy of our affection. God. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Right? To love God with all that you are. Love the one who is worthy of everything with everything. Right? And we looked at that together. But then the second is like it. To love your neighbor. 
And not just your neighbor, not just your friends, but even love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To love those who the rest of the world says are really undeserving of love. And to love them as well as we love ourselves. And friends, I'll tell you, we love ourselves really, really well. Right? We, just, we just do. We just do. And so now we're kind of turning away from that front of first call to love to a second commandment of Jesus, which is a commission. We'll talk more about commissions versus commands in a little bit. The second one is called the Great Commission, in which Jesus calls us to make. So first we're called to love, and now we're going to look at this call to make. But before we get fully into this and start unpacking the text together this morning, man, I just want to to pray. I want to pray specifically for our moms in the room uh, and for the ladies in the room. Here's the thing. Today is a day of celebration. We want to celebrate that. We want to get our pictures taken. We want to cook dinners and have fun and uh, get all dressed up for mom and do all those things. It's it's great. Like, uh, it's great. But we also know that there is a lot of women in this room who kind of approach this day as a bittersweet day. It just, it just is, right? Just a bittersweet day. Uh, some of you in the room um, desperately desire to be a mom, but for a myriad of reasons can't, can't, can't be a mom right now in this moment of your life. You desperately desire and your heart breaks over that. We want to pray for you. Some of you have, have lost your mom, and today is a bittersweet day. We want to pray for you in that. Some of you moms have lost children, and they're not here to celebrate this day with you. That's a bittersweet day for you. Some of you are, have, are none of those things, but you're just a mom. And what we're realizing, what we're learning, and God's, God quoted a stat, this kind of new stat last week over the past two years has been incredibly hard on moms with young kids. A lot of the burden, there's been just burden upon burden, piled upon moms. And over 50% of moms with young kids are seriously lonely. Just feel alone. Feel like and they just, they can't, they can't do it all, right? Um, and th- there's an extra burden that's been placed on you. And I said this in the last gathering. Uh, the best husbands in this room, the best dads in this room, and fall short in our ability to comprehend all that it is that you do. And all that it is that you're constantly working towards providing for us and caring for our kids, we just, we just fail to appreciate you in that. And even, even though we give you one day a year to say thanks, um, lame, uh, we just, we just, we're not good at it. We're not good at it. I'm not, I'm not good at it um, with my wife. And so, man, I just want to pray for you that God would be the one who encourages you today more than us lame men who just will not do a good job of it. All right, let's, let's, let's pray. Father, you are the only one, you're the only one who can grasp, um, man, just the burdens of those who have gathered in this room, the pressure that is on the mothers in this room, the sorrow that is in the heart of those who cannot become mothers in this room, or have lost mothers, who have lost children. You're the only one that can grasp that. You can only grasp all, all that these women do to, to serve and to love and to care for their children and for their families. And so I pray today that you would be their comfort, that you would be their joy, that you would be their delight, that you would fill them with an extra measure of grace today, that you would strengthen them. Because the, Just because we celebrate today doesn't mean the work ends. Today, being a mom will be hard today. And it'll be hard tomorrow and the next and the next. And so would you provide for them Would you strengthen them? Would you lift them up and then spur them on? Would you fill them with your spirit 
and equip them with the power of the resurrection. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the Great Commission. The Great Commission on Easter, right? Uh, how many of you guys were here on Easter? Anybody here on Easter? Okay, a number of you. Yeah, most of you were here on Easter. On Easter, right, the resurrection of Jesus, the women go to the tomb of Jesus, and the angel greets them there, and the angel says, oh, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here, right? He's risen, right? You can see where he lay. Now go tell the disciples to meet him where he said he was going to meet them, right? In Galilee. And so the disciples go to Galilee. Matthew records this. They go to Galilee up on this mountain where Jesus said he was going to meet them. And sure enough, there he is, the resurrected Savior of the universe. And so, of course, they just bow down. They begin to worship him and say, this is insane. Like, we saw you die, and now here you are. And Jesus says to them, now kiss my feet. No. No. This moment that, he, that they see, he is the Savior King of all. He has authority over death itself. He says this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to break this into two weeks. We'll talk about the second half of it next week. We're just going to talk about that first half this week. I think it's fascinating that Jesus, unlike all the other kings in the world, all the other kings in the world demand authority, right? When they become king or when they become president or when they become high prime minister or whatever it is, the politicians of our day all demand respect and submission from you, complete allegiance and authority. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. All authorities are being given to me. I don't need it from you. I already have all of it. I don't need you to give me any fake authority because I have the real and genuine authority. The Great Commission begins with this idea that Jesus is actually king. Let me show you in Revelation uh, 5, 9 through 14, we see this picture of our king. John is given this picture of heaven and these angels singing. And in Revelation 5, 9, it says that they sang a new song. And it says this, worthy are you, Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people of every nation. And you have made them a kingdom. There's that language again. It's everywhere. If you learn to read your Bible through a kingdom lens, you will see it everywhere. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about Jesus becoming king. You've made them a kingdom, citizens of the gospel, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, all their strength and all their might and their soul and 
everything that is within them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. This is the image that we have of our King. What I want you to see right out of the gate this morning is that the beginning of the Great Commission is this. We serve a worthy King. He's a worthy King. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. He's not chasing and pursuing fake authority. Every other leader on the earth demands a fake sense of authority, right? Every other religious leader. You look at the great um, prophets and popes and leaders. of like They're all saying, you must so follow me. You must obey me. My, I have the final authority. I have the final word. When I walk in the room, you all stand. Right? You need to give me your money and give me your time and give me your stuff right? because I have all authority. It's a fake authority. It's not real. It's not genuine. Jesus never demands that. He never demands that. In all of the Gospels, when we look at the life of Jesus, we never see one who demands authority. When Jesus heals someone, what does he say to them? Now, give me all your money? No. He says, go. And sin no more. Go and sin no more. Go tell your friends of what I've done. Go and love your neighbor. Go love, go love your God. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't demand things from you because all authority already belongs to him. And so here we come to the place where we realize that we have this king who is worthy of all of our affection, with all of our allegiance, all of our obedience. And what's he call us to do? Go, therefore, and make, to, to make disciples. All right, so... Before we get into how do we make disciples, the question is, what is a disciple? Like, what is a disciple, right? In Jesus' context, first century Israel, right? We, don't have a, we do not have time to unpack all of this this morning, right? Because our children's ministry today is led by all men because it's Mother's Day. And they're going to die if I go long, okay? So they're like 20 bucks every five minutes you knock off, Josh. So i got to make some money here, but I'm watching the clock today, all right? Uh, a rabbi in first century Israel, right? Or sorry, a disciple in first century Israel is a student of a rabbi, okay? A student of a rabbi. The rabbis were the rock stars of the day. These unbelievably intellectual men, sorry ladies, all, these, it's a man's world, first century Israel, okay? These unbelievably intellectual, well-studied men who were revered in the day. When they would show up into areas and cities and regions, thousands would, cut, would gather to hear them speak. And these disciples were the cream of the crop. They were the smartest and best and brightest men of the day. And if you could hack it, if you could impress a rabbi, he would invite you to come and follow him. To come follow him, to come be one of his Talmudin, his disciples. And they would come after the rabbi. And the goal of the disciple was to emulate the rabbi. The goal of a disciple is to become just like the rabbi. It's not to graduate. It's not to make a bunch of money. It's not to make your mom proud. The goal of a disciple, the goal of the, 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 the cream of the crop, the top echelon of Israel was to become just like a rabbi. Just like the rabbi. And so they would study the rabbi. They would study everything about him. They would study his mannerisms. How does he sleep? Is he a side sleeper or a back sleeper? Like, well, does, he, does he snore or not snore? What's the first thing he does when he wakes up? 
right? Does he, does, he, does he pray? Does he journal? Does he go to the bathroom? Does he brush his teeth? What's, what's the order in which he does these things? I want to do it in the exact same order every single day. I want to adopt the lifestyle of my rabbi in the deepest detail. That's the goal of a disciple. That's, what they, that's how they would live it out. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, he's inviting us, he's inviting his disciples, and inviting you and me, right, to emulate him in every single way, to emulate his way of life, to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, the difference between a, a, a disciple in first century Israel and a disciple of Jesus is that they don't have to acknowledge that a rabbi is a rabbi. The first step in becoming a disciple of Jesus is acknowledging who Jesus is, that he's not just another rabbi. He is the Savior King of the universe. He is God in the flesh. He is the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the worthy King, worthy of complete devotion and allegiance and affection. And so we come after him because he's a worthy King. And we're called to then invite others to do the same, to go make more Talmudim, to go make more disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? I'm going to give us three things this morning, and then we'll get out of here. Like I said, we're in a hurry. We're under the gun, okay? If you get a text from your husband and they're all dead, like, let us know. Like, let somebody know, okay? Um, three things, right? We're going to look at prayer proclaiming and profession. Prayer, proclaiming, and profession. So first is prayer. You can't make disciples. For those of you in the room who are citizens of the kingdom, you say, I, I am. I've given my life to Jesus. I, I have I've surrendered my rights and my, my, my rule and my reign to him and him alone. He is my king. I'm a citizen of the gospel. You're called to make a disciple, but you can't do it. It's an impossible task. The first step must be prayer because without him it'll never happen our king is the chief disciple maker our rabbi is the one who's going to make the disciples well then why are we called to do it at all man let, let me show you a few things first um in matthew there's this there's a story uh, of the rich young ruler and many of you have heard this story right a rich young ruler comes to jesus and he says what must i do to inherit eternal life and what we see in this rich young ruler is a kid who's got it all together, right? He is like, he's the boy that's making every Jewish mama proud, okay? Like on Mother's Day, like his mom's like toting him around like a prize trophy, right? He's wealthy and he's followed the law perfectly. Like in every way she performed, he is this like little poster child of, of Israel. It's like what every mom wants in every way. He's just this perfect kid. And Jesus says, but there's one thing you lack. Go sell it all. all, all your wealth, all of it. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. He invites him to come be a disciple. Come follow me. And what's fascinating is, is this, he goes away sad, right? He goes away sad because he has much wealth. He's like, no, nah, I can't. I can't sell it all. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and has this interaction with them. He says this. Jesus said to his disciples, this is Matthew 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. There is that language again. It's everywhere. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. 
It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The disciples look at this young man who has it all together. He's got it all together. Like religiously, he has it all together. Right? Culturally, he has it all together. A good-looking, wealthy, perfect religious kid. And they say, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? Right? And they equate salvation with the kingdom of God. These are interchangeable language, interchangeable ideas in, in the disciples' mind. Who can, who can enter the kingdom of God? Who can become a citizen of the gospel? And Jesus says, man, with, with, if it's up to you, nobody. N- nobody can. And I think for so many of us, we have carried the weight of someone else's salvation on our shoulders. Listen, moms in the room are constantly worrying about their kids' salvation, just constantly, right? We carry that weight. We put the pressure on ourselves, and it becomes our burden. We're constantly worried about it. We're constantly stressed out about it. We're constantly, constantly badgering our kids. If the salvation of blank, fill in the blank. I don't know who that person is. Your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your kid, your spouse, your sibling. If it's up to you, it will never happen. And for some of you, that's like this crushing weight, but it's not meant to be. Because the good news is, it's not up to you. It's up to God. And with him, it is possible. And so our first step must be prayer. I love how Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, put it. He said this way. He said, be in much prayer and fasting, both in secret and with one another. When you're at home, yes, but also when you're in your path group, when you're with your friends, be in much prayer about this. It seems to me it would become the circumstance of the present day, right? When we look around at the circumstances of our present day, when we look at the circumstances of our kids and our neighbors, our spouses, our coworkers, our friends, it seems to me when we look at the circumstances of our present day, if the ministers in a neighborhood, that's you, we talked about that last week. He's not talking about me. He's not saying the ministers in the pulpit. He's talking about the ministers in the neighborhood. That's you. You're the ministers of your neighborhood. Would often meet together and spend days in fasting and fervent prayer among themselves. So it is God's will that the prayers of his saints, the citizens of the gospel, shall be great and the principal means of carrying on the designs of Christ's kingdom in the world. Let me say that again. The prayers of the saints, the citizens of the gospel, are the primary principal means of carrying on the designs of Christ's kingdom in the world. When God has something to accomplish for his church, it is his will that there should precede it the extraordinary Prayer of his people. Prayer precedes the power of God. Step one is always prayer. And I mean always. In your marriage, when you need the power of God, prayer is step one. In your parenting, when you need the power of God, prayer is always step one. In your relationship with your friends, in your career, in your neighborhood, when you need the power of God, prayer is always step one. And specifically here this morning, When it comes to the salvation of others, when it comes to making disciples, we must kneel before our king because prayer precedes the power of God. 
And so my kind of first thing for you this morning, today, my first challenge is to ask you, who is the one person in your life that you've committed to praying for every single day? For those of you in the room who are citizens of the gospel, I know not everybody is. Some of you are like, I don't believe this at all. That's okay. You get to kind of peek behind the curtain this morning. For those of you in the room who would say, man, I'm a citizen of the gospel. I've given my life to Jesus. I've submitted to his rule and reign. Who are you praying for every single day? Over here on this wall, we call us praying for one, right? You've heard, if you've been around, you've heard us talk about this. Right? There's a hundred names written on this wall, right? And those are people who we've committed to praying for every single day. Every day. And they're local people. It's not like my Aunt Sue from Kansas. It's somebody here locally that I see at least once a month that I'm praying every single day that Jesus would transform their life. That he'd call them out of spiritual darkness and lead them into spiritual light because I want them to see the beauty of the King. I want them to know Jesus. And some of you this morning after this gathering, you just got to go over and write that name on the wall and just commit the day. I'm going to pray for this person every day. Some of you have a name on that wall. You've kind of forgotten about it. You need to pick up that commitment again. Give grace to yourself. Pick up that commitment today. I'm going to pray every day because left to me, this is all impossible. The salvation of blank is impossible. But with God, it is far more than possible. And so step one is to pray. Step two is proclamation. Proclamation, right? Our job, right? So yes, we pray, but our job is to proclaim. But proclaim what? Proclaim what? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus is our job. I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says it this way. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? We're citizens of the gospel. It's who we've been made and formed to be by the king. A people of his own possession. That you may. So that, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right? Our job is actually simple. So often the idea of evangelism, evangelism becomes this big, impossible thing. that's like, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to... Answer these questions. I can't win the arguments. I can't articulate deep theology. I don't have all the answers. But friends, Jesus did not save you so that you could have all the answers. He did not transform you into a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, citizens of the gospel, so you could have all the answers. He did so so that, 1 Peter, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of the one who does have all the answers, who does have all the power and all the authority in heaven and earth, who is worthy of all things, all glory and honor and praise and blessing, all belongs to him. Our job is simply to proclaim his excellencies, to declare what he's already done in my life. What he's already done in your life. In his fingerprints, everything he does is excellence. It's all he does. He's never done anything in your life that's, that's not excellence. Right? J.I. Packer, the great theologian, put it this way. He said, uh, he said, every good thing will come if it comes at all. If it comes, it will come 
as a gift from his hands. Every good thing in my life declares his excellencies. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but everything in my life that has my fingerprints on it, that, uh, that I've just squeezed and pressed my fingers into, I was like, man, I'm going to make this thing excellent. Those are the most jacked up things in my life. Those are the things that are the most broken, the most ugly. And I'm trying to like wield them and lift them up and say, look how amazing it is. And everybody's looking at me like, I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with that. That broken, ugly religion that you're manhandling doesn't look attractive to anybody. But all the things that you have released, that I have released my grasp on, and I've come to the end of myself and said, I can't do this anymore. Jesus, I need you by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring life into this thing. Those are the most beautiful things in my life. The things that I've released my grasp on, said, I can't control this thing anymore. Jesus, I need you. Those are the things that he has made fresh and made new and are the most beautiful things in my life. And yet here I am, the idiot, just keep on, I just keep on strangling everything. Any, any of the citizens of the gospel in the room, like, amen, or am I the only idiot in the room? All the fellas, I hear a lot of men, I hear a lot of men this morning, yes. Like, just constantly, constantly, like, trying to do it under my own power. And so for many of us in the room, like, I, mean, like, I don't have any excellencies to proclaim. It's because you're squeezing the life of it out of everything in your life. Your marriage and your kids, your career. We're called to be a people who worship Jesus as king, who has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He has authority over my marriage. He has authority over my kids. He has authority over my career. He has authority over my friendships and my relationships. But yet here I am just squeezing it, saying, no, I have authority here. I can do it. And those are the worst things in my life. So you release our grasp. Allow him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to go to work. And then we can prop those things up for the world to see. See how my marriage was broken when I was jacking it all up? Look what my king has done. See how my identity and my heart was all jacked up when I was trying to do all these things the right way? But I gave it over to Jesus. Now look what my king, come and taste and see how good he is. You proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of spiritual darkness and brought us into spiritual light. He will woo the world to himself, not me. We prop up the impressive one. We shine light on the one who is worthy of the light. And his glory will win the day. His beauty will woo the lost. And his grace will save again and again and again. This week, maybe the second thing I want to challenge you with this week is to, to examine your life and to say, where are the excellencies of Christ? What are the things that I've given over to him? What are the things that I'm clinging to for myself that I need to release my grasp on? And then to share one thing, just one thing that you are thankful to God for, one excellency of Christ with somebody who doesn't know him. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker, maybe it's a random stranger. He said, man, I want you to know what Jesus has done in my life, what he's done in my marriage, what he's done in my kids. I want you to see what Jesus has done in my life. Allow him to be the excellent one. Last thing for us this morning is that it's a call to profession. A call to profession, right? It says, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? 
profession, baptism, all right, is, there's this moment that every citizen of the gospel, the moment, a moment in the life of every citizen of the gospel, where you kind of come to the end of yourself and you realize, right, that Jesus is king. And I, I am not king. I am far from king. Every citizen of the gospel, true citizen of the gospel, has come to this place in their life where they realize that they're, they're not as good as they've made believe, made themselves to believe that they are. Right? We're talking about Mother's Day, man. When, when, I, when I compare myself to my wife, in every category, in every facet, she is beyond me. She's just better than me. Maybe not arm wrestling. Okay, I think I could take her. But everything else, like she just smokes me. She's just so much better than me in everything. And I realize how broken I am and how how much of an idiot I am. But here's the, the bad news. My wife is not the measuring stick. I, I don't stack up to her, okay? But she's not the measuring stick. There's an infinitely holy, an infinitely blameless, an infinitely worthy, an infinitely perfect God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-pure. And he's the measuring stick. And even my wife doesn't come close to him. She doesn't. And so I realize on my best day, I will never be as good as my wife. She won't. And on her best day, she'll never be close to as good as him. There is nothing that I'll ever be able to do to get back to where I should be. To be infinitely perfect and infinitely good. I, I will never get there. And the punishment for my brokenness, for my failure, for my sin is death. That's the, di- that's the game. The punishment is death. And there's nothing I can do to escape that. I will never be good enough. I will never be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. But there's a moment in the life of every citizen of the gospel where you realize that that infinitely holy, infinitely perfect, infinitely amazing God put on flesh and instead came to me, became like me, became human. Jesus is God in the flesh. He puts on my clothes. He bears my sin. He takes all of my sin and all my brokenness and your sin and your brokenness and he lays it on himself and he carries it to the cross. He dies the death that I deserve to die. He dies in my place and in your place. He's given his life for you. And now because of that, listen to me, even though I know I'm an idiot and I know I've let all of you down, some of you are brand new, just stick around for a little bit. I promise I'll let you down, okay? I know I've let you down. In the eyes of the one who holds all authority in heaven and earth, I, in every citizen of the gospel, is infinitely worthy infinitely holy, infinitely blameless and perfect. And tomorrow I'm going to jack it all up again. And tomorrow, in the eyes of my king, I am infinitely good. 
not because of my merit, not because of anything I've done, not because I'm impressive, not because I, I've got some sort of skill or some sort of magic ticket or magic coin. I've got none of that. Not my merit. His blood covers me. His perfect blood covers me. His holy blood covers me. Because he died in my place, I can now stand infinitely blameless. And this frees me up. And it frees you up if you're a citizen of the gospel. Because tomorrow, I don't have to face the day of failure, right? I get to love my wife afresh, and my kids afresh, and you afresh. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about my past sins. Because my past, present, and future sins are all cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I get to be a new creation every single day in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. And so, we must proclaim that and profess that. We profess that Jesus is not just some rabbi. He's the Savior, King of the universe. And we do that through baptism. The first step in the life of a disciple is baptism. The first step in making a disciple is prayer. But the first step for a disciple is a profession of faith through baptism. It's a public, it's a public declaration of an inward transformation. Jesus has already done this. I, there's nothing that saves you here. This is, not, this is not salvific. There's nothing in baptism that saves you. He, it's his blood, not my merit. There's nothing that I will ever do. There's nothing that you will ever do that's going to impress him. His blood is the impressive thing. And it covers every citizen of the gospel. And baptism declares that. Declares that I'm infinitely clean. We go under the water. We come back up and we're washed. Not literally washed. It's dirty, bountiful tap water. I'm declaring that I've already been washed by the infinitely perfect blood of Jesus. I have a new life. A new life in Christ. I go under. It's death. You die if you stay underneath there. But we don't stay under. We come up and there's oxygen, a new life. And every day I can experience a new life in Christ. It's a profession of all that he has done. A new people. I'm called off. I'm a new person. I'm now a citizen of the gospel, not a citizen of the world. This is, this is not my own. I'm a stranger and an alien here. And so my call to you today, this morning, is that for some of you who are citizens of the gospel, you've given your life to Jesus, and you are forming your life. You're trying to, to live the way of Jesus with all of your life. My call to you today is you have people in your life that you've been praying for that you've been proclaiming His excellencies to. And they need to be, be called to a profession. You can't, you can't stay outside of the kingdom forever. Come into the kingdom of God. Come give your life to the king. All authority all be, already belongs to Him. Why are you clinging to it? Come give your life to Jesus. Let Him make your life new. Let him cleanse you by his blood. You need to call some of your friends and call some of your family to a moment of profession in Jesus. And some of you in the room, some of you are those friends and family. And your friend, your sister, your brother, your wife, your husband has been propping up the excellencies of Jesus to you for years because they love you 
and they've been saying, look at what Jesus is doing in my life. Look at what Jesus is doing in my life. Look at what Jesus is doing in my life. And for whatever reason, you've been just clinging to all your own authority, twisting it and mangling it and jacking it all up. And today's the day. Just give it to him. Just release your grasp on the things of this world and say, Jesus is king and I am not. And maybe today, maybe today is the day that you take this step and you become baptized too. We have three friends that are going to be baptized this morning. Hopefully, hopefully many, many more. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. And if God is moving in your heart and you say, no, 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 yes, I'm an idiot and I've been putting this off for too long. I've called you guys idiots so many times this morning. I apologize. I'm the idiot. Um, I've been putting this off for far too long. I got some friends that'll be in the back. They would love to talk to you. They'd love to pray with you. And maybe today's the day that you give your life to Jesus. Go grab one of them and say, man, I think I, think I need to get baptized this morning. Or maybe go grab your friend that's been, your family member who's been propping up the excellencies and say, man, I need, to, I need to take that step, give my life to Jesus. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, this morning we come before you, and I ask that you would and do, do a work in this place and do a work in us that we could not do. So many of us have been trying under our own strength to wield this life to grasp at authority and say, I can control my marriage. I can control my kids. I can control my career. I can control my friends. I can Help us to release our grasp. Help us become a people who see that our primary responsibility is to trust you, to pray, to beg you to move. Help us be people who are constantly looking for your excellencies in our life and propping those up for a broken world to see. Holding you up as the most excellent one. Holding you up as the one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And help us be a people of profession who are constantly professing to the, a broken and lost world that we have a gentle and kind Savior King who is restoring all things and has invited them to come and become a disciple, to adopt the way of flourishing, the lifestyle of Jesus. Help us this morning. Encourage us. Pour into us. Build us. Form us into your people. Pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, let's stand. Let's sing together. We're going to baptize some friends this morning.